And welcome back to the Giants Among Men podcast. I'm back along with my uh, partner, as always, Brian Demena. It is Saturday, August the 29th when we're recording this. We're recording this in the morning. Uh, Giants had a big blue and white scrimmage at MetLife last night. Uh, it's supposed to be televised tonight at 6 on NBC. So uh, we haven't seen it, so we're not going to break it down. Or um... Oh, we're going to get to see it, though. Yeah, it's going to be on NBC tonight. Yeah cool yeah um that's fun would you like a, a little spoiler alert i don't i really don't know much about it but i do know i did watch joe judge's press conference this morning sure the offense the, the first the first team offense scored three points okay going against our first team defense so that, okay i don't know too much to make of that but all right but like a field goal <laughs> right <laughs> okay right so i don't know maybe our defense is better than we thought right <laughs> right <laughs> I'll take the take the positive right, right side of that, yeah. Uh, but we'll you know we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. But just in case you're wondering, you know, why we wouldn't lead off with that, it's because uh, we haven't seen it, and that seems crazy to me. That there was, I mean, why they wouldn't have televised it last night? Yeah, that is weird. You, you know. think they'd be so deaf? Everybody would want to watch that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like I would be remiss if I don't point out. Um, that I'm doing this live from from my Buick Encore, <laughs> <laughs> up in the up in the Catskills, where I'm hiding out, um, as we all deal with this coronavirus situation. <laughs> it's a it's a creative recording studio you got there. It is, yes. You know the uh, the, the luxury Encore, um, the leather seats are providing the the perfect uh, backdrop for this podcast. <laughs> um, I'm a little sick of the woods, Scott. I'm going to tell you that. Uh, I've had it with the creepy crawlies and the critters and the bats and, uh, you know, the vermin. If another bat flies at my head, (laughs) Um, as you know, we've been dealing with bats quite a bit. And we had a real battle with one the other night. And my wife valiantly stepped up to the plate and caught it with a net. And that's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. But I will confess that I completely melted down (laughs) i I can't if another bat flies at my face where you know they just come swooping at you yeah and i have i it's like a ps ptsd situation i mean i cannot have another one flying at me just the terror you feel and you just want to get them out of there um so love like luckily my my dearly beloved wife uh stepped up to the plate um no, and I, I have firsthand experience with your wife in her uh, Joanna versus Bat uh, right. battles. I, you know, I was up with you in the Catskills a couple weeks ago, uh, to let the listeners know, and we had a bat incident. I mean, first of all, too, your cabin is wonderful. It's beautiful. It's such a nice escape, but it is in nature. And yeah. the, probably the longer you're up there, the more you realize that, you know, Nature must be contained because it does right. not care about you. <laughs> right. And yeah. And I will say, and I'll, I'll join you in that. I think that you know. So the the four of us, uh, you, your wife Joanna, my, me, and my wife Nicole, we encountered a bat the night one of the nights that we were up there with you guys, and it really was it was the wives 
that were the most fearless in right dealing they, with they the wanted bat. To, they wanted to instigate it let's, let's <laughs> yeah. Get it, yeah what's the issue here yeah well, right and yeah i mean you're you know joanna attacked it with a stick nicole had the flashlight and she's analyzing its body language and right <laughs> you know she's like no it, it looks yeah. weak it looks you know yeah I, okay. okay zoologist nicole like <laughs> where how you yeah, get that no. information it is just we've been dealing with it the whole time. I mean, I should point out this is my father-in-law's cabin, but I will confess to my my privilege here that we've had <laughs> we've been able to enjoy this, and we have been one of those couples or families that you read about in the Times who have like escaped to their vacation <laughs> homes. <laughs> but it is only due to the the generosity of my my in-laws. Um, but yeah, but it is in nature. You're right. Yeah, we're battling the creatures. Right. Yes, certainly. And and I know what you're saying, too. Actually, the night we battled the the first bat, uh, you know, just to, to let you there was one point where I tackled my wife to the ground when the bat came swooping out of its hiding spot. I literally just tackled her to the ground, you know, went down. Yeah. And at another point in the evening, I was I had started to get a little more bold and and I was next to Joanna and the bat was like perched up almost at the peak of your of your ceiling and both of us swear that it looked us in the eye and dove at us and it is terrifying there is something so sinister about them yeah right well uh so your car is a good safe space for this and i (laughs) yes so now this is perfect i get to we'll talk chat about sports and i'll i have a reprieve here there's no family nor children in this car um so it's kind of uh the lap of luxury. Yeah. So that's good. Spin it into a positive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, we'll move from your uh, New York Times privilege to right. the less privileged. Right. This and, is exactly a good segue. Yeah. And we'll, and we'll talk a little uh, NBA here. So uh, actually this afternoon, uh, games, playoff games in the NBA are going to resume after, I believe, a three-night hiatus as the NBA and their players sorted out uh, how they wanted to address what happened in Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like they are going to resume. Um, you know, I do feel like it's really easy to be cynical about the whole situation, but it, I find it, you know, it was pretty genuinely inspiring and impressive um, and that they took it as far as they did um, to the point that the season was was threatened for a little bit. Um and, you know, look, we're in this terrible period where this all this stuff kind of has to be dealt with. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know. It feels like the country is falling apart in some ways, but also, you know, it's necessary. We got it's just been on, gone on too long. Um, you know, we all just sit back and we look at these kind of disparities that exist and the history that that led to them. You know, we have this we have 200 years of um slavery and then jim crow and then you know the result is these obvious disparities that we all then kind of just go well i don't know what caused that you know and we just (laughs) i wonder if those two things are related you know and we just sort of move on and and you know it's an uncomfortable time but um i don't know i was you know it's generally impressive and inspiring um you know and you don't want to take too much from corporate masters and anything they do is is usually self-serving but uh, you know um the NBA seems like they're rolling with it um, as a league. Um, and I don't know. It seemed like a positive thing to me. Yeah, I think it's amazing. I mean, first of all, just 
Right. Across the board, how impressive all these NBA players have been. And, you know, we're talking about young black men who are exactly uh, who um, are frequently being shot in these circumstances or imprisoned in mass numbers. And here you have these incredibly talented young black men who are taking these strong leadership roles and frankly doing a much better job than most of our elected leaders at all levels, local, state, federal. Um, It's really unbelievable. And I think not only if you even if you get past the cynicism, you know, just kind of reading about it over the last few days, you're reading a lot of sort of these behind the scenes pieces, these TikToks about how it went down, what the meetings were like, what was said, who did what, what role did everybody play? And I do feel like, you know, it's sad because only a few days later, people are kind of getting caught up in the gossip of it. Like, right. oh, LeBron walked out or what did Patrick Beverly say? Or Yeah, yeah. You know, you're getting a lot of that. But I think what you're seeing is that these guys got themselves together and legitimately hashed it out. And rather than just everybody running in a bunch of different directions, acting emotionally and because and there is a lot of emotion wrapped up in this. And I think that the way that they're being super thoughtful, not only about what should we do, but what makes sense, how do we keep our platform, but also, uh, you know, push things forward. You know, they're coming up with real solutions because it's not just these, it's not as simple as saying we need to be more involved because what does that mean? You know, and I do think a lot of times the opposition will say like, well, what are you what are you recommending? Why, or are you just having a tantrum about it? And I think there's a very fine line to walk between having a kind of a tantrum about it and doing something. And I think they're really looking for like, what is that? Yeah, you're right. It's not just that they're doing it. It's really impressive all the way around, like the messaging of it, the way they're speaking about it. You're just like, wow, it's, it is like um, it's hard to not take it seriously, given the thought being put into it. Um, you know, it's funny. I will confess, though, that there was one morning, I think the morning after it all happened and I was watching just ESPN. Um, and you, well, you know, it was just like, wow you just can't escape from everything that's going on in the world. You know, and I do get where people get frustrated that you can't just turn on sports center in the morning and watch, you know, it was just subsumed with this stuff. Yeah. And it was powerful also. Like, you know, you were hearing the same thing about from a lot of really interesting people and smart people. And they were, they were, you know, it was hard not to be, you know, um, affected by it. But <laughs> I mean, just the way I used to think this, everything right now, the way politics has just uh, swallowed our entire lives is, is torture and brutal but you know it's also like it just has to happen right now um we are in this crisis moment and you know if it's not making people uncomfortable it's probably not going far enough you know and and when your people are talking about protests and they're spilling into violence and you know no one that's all bad but um on the other hand you know we should be feeling uncomfortable right now we should be it's things are you know there's been problems that have gone a long time but they have they have uh exploded into this sort of crisis moment we're living in and um you know you have to kind of face it and it's like as much as we want to turn on espn i just want to watch a few highlights and not deal with it for a few minutes it sucks that we can't just turn on espn and have a little respite and yet at the same time thank goodness just because again i really think that sports has taken on a leadership role that uh we're just not getting from the people who are supposed to be leaders in this time of crisis. And I don't really, 
get it. And I really kind of hate it because, I mean, even when you, and we're going to talk a little bit more about college sports today because of all that's been going on there, but every, you know, sports is kind of reflecting everything that's going on. You have the NBA that's really focused with sort of what's going on racially in America. And then, you know, when you have college football, it's sort of, it's such a great illustration of some of the regional struggles that we have and disagreements where, you know, the Midwest and the Big Ten and the Pac-10 and the Pac-10 have, have uh, canceled their seasons, but the South is holding strong, and so has sort of the Southwest. And you know, it's really sports has become to reflect really everything that's going on in every facet of our lives: the problems, the good, the bad. And the best leaders have been the sports figures, because it certainly hasn't been the politicians up to this point. I don't think. Yeah, I don't want to get totally derailed and talk about Trump for eight hours, but you know, it's just kind of you have to marvel at. Um, his ability to just do nothing on all fronts, you know, like his handling of the protest is really not dissimilar from how he's handled coronavirus, where it's like, he's just not doing anything. Like he's not actually doing anything, you know, I don't right. even know what his proposal is on these protests, you know, just to what, like brutally suppress them. Yeah. Um, but you know, um, he's not offering anything to anybody. Um, and on any of these fronts and they just continue both on both in both ways, these you know, all these different crises just go without any solutions offered or any effort to do anything <laughs> in any sphere to solve any problem or make anybody feel better. Or, you know, it's just blaming other people. And, um, you know, it's wild. And, and I agree with you. It's like, you know, we're all looking to LeBron James because he's actually done a better job, you know, and um, yeah, you know, uh, between Mike Tomlin or Steve Kerr or you know, any of these other figures that have spoken more eloquently and seemingly offered more concrete solutions and made people feel better than anyone, you know, in an elected position. It's so true. Like, so, yeah, you know, we maybe would rather these guys were just playing sports, but they're pretty much all we've got at this point. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, they're going to keep playing. They're going to start playing again. Uh, we're going to get that. And um, again, that's part of the so, you know, shifting back to the NBA. Um, I wanted to ask what you think about, you know, because I think a lot of it, a lot has been made about that meeting that apparently LeBron led the Lakers to walk out of the meeting and the Clippers followed suit. And uh, Stephen A. Smith was ranting yesterday about what a bad job the uh, or, you know, LeBron, like kind of he was talking about LeBron walking out and he was saying how LeBron rubbed people the wrong way. A lot of the young players hated what they heard. And it's also going to piss off a lot of the owners and LeBron needs to be careful. And I mean, first of all, I just totally disagree with much of that, but do you think, and I, I don't think that this is uh, necessarily warranted, but do you think there is a little bit of something akin to survival survivors guilt among the players? Because I know that, a lot of players were super active in the protests uh, for George Floyd before they went to the bubble. And there were even a group of players that were hesitant to go to the bubble because they were worried that it would take the focus off of social justice. And ultimately, that turned out to sort of be true. And I don't blame the players at all. You know, you go down there and it's going to have to be an adjustment period where you get you no matter how luxurious your surroundings are, you're going to have to get used to them. If you're a professional athlete, you're probably a very routinized person with a very routinized you know, structured day, your personality sort of is is drawn towards being that way. And then they had to get used to being down there. Then the games start. There's people you haven't seen in a long time. It's great to see them. 
and then you can kind of get lost in whatever it is you're doing down there. And then the next shooting happens and it's sort of like, boom, I can't believe we took our eye off the ball. Even if it was in their minds, it wasn't their primary concern while they were down there. Do you think that some of the emotional reactions you're getting down there is a result of, of that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that's well put. That probably has a lot to do with it. You know, it's hard because it, it's, it is this, you know, you want to, we're in this moment where you feel like major big, like change feels possible. So you want to be part of it. And on the other hand, you have to like keep living your life. Right. I mean, you can't just, you can't think about it all the time every day and do nothing else. But then you, you know, on the other hand, you feel guilty for that because maybe you should, you know, maybe all your energy should go into it. Like people's lives are on the line. People, you know, um, there's a lot of suffering going on and you say so you, but then, and then you're just playing basketball and you're in Disney world and um, you'd realize you're just this pampered athlete and people you grew up with are, you know, on the front lines or out there um, battling police in riot gear and, you know, sweating every night trying to make stuff happen and you're not really a part of it at all um so i'm sure that's a lot of what's going on you know yeah but but on the other hand i don't know you know what can you do this is your this is your life you, you know you have life must go on we have to somehow balance these things i don't know it's, it's definitely challenging i mean it's absolutely challenging and i think that that's sort of what you're seeing come out of the discussions in in the best way where you know, Doc Rivers apparently spoke at that meeting and said that your talent is your power. And, you know, because it, it is a fine line. If you stop playing, you're just another guy, right? But if you're playing, you're not totally involved in everything. And so, you know, how do you do it? And I do think also what you're seeing both in within the NBA, among the coaches and the players, and but also in kind of the media and how ESPN covers it. You and I had, a, a, you know, a, we were texting about, um, you know, how ESPN needed like a figure to be front and center for some of this. And that would be really helpful in kind of delivering the message that they want to. And I, and we threw out some names and, you know, when I started to watch some people, I think there is a generational divide that's very, also very similar to what's going on both within the Democratic Party and the country at large where you have an older generation of which in the media I would consider uh, Michael Wilbon on Pardon the Interruption, uh, you know, and he's very much been a, you know, you, his, his stance is you never give up your platform. You definitely keep playing. You could do more from the position of power. Um, and then the younger generation seems to be a little more split on it. I think the, and then, you know, even, even then, uh, Doc Rivers, after he explained that your talent is your power, he he said, let's come up with three actionable items coming out of this uh, meeting. And and to me, that was kind of like the Biden, Obama, Hillary approach, like what's practical, achievable, sensible, yeah, reasonable, yeah. you know, uh, it's centrist. And then you have younger guys who are a little more passionate and they want to do a little bit more. And I think that even even in this instance, the NBA is finding that line between both sides so much better than even say the democratic party who is trying right. to marginalize their younger, more radical voices and stick with the centrism. And um, I just think that in all ways, they've just been a shining example of how to deal with these complicated, messy things. Yeah, you're right. That's a very good point. I don't know. It's true. Cause you, you know, on the other hand, you know, not playing these games. I mean, that is powerful. Like that gets people moving, you know, yeah. like, this is big money on the line. Um, 
you're saying we're not going to play, you know, all of a sudden they're opening polling places at NBA arenas and, you know, what do we need to do? So, yeah, I mean, you know, it is always that battle of how hard do you push and when, when do you compromise? And I don't know, you know, um, I certainly don't have all the answers, but yeah, you're right. I mean, just on both sides of the equation, they see it's, it, it, you wish our politics looked like what's going on in the NBA. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that, um, uh, but they don't. So, no. <laughs> yeah, no, um, you know, and, and also I think what's interesting too, is like, you can't, you can't threaten not to play unless you're going to play. Right. Like that's the, that's the fine line they have to walk. Cause if, if you're just, I'm not going to play period, we're done. Well, then you're all your leverage is gone. Right. That's true too. So you have to be playing to threaten not to play. So it's, it's, right. just, it's so, it's crazy how well they're doing. It really yeah, is. Yeah. 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 That's true. That is, I didn't think of that. That's right. Um, I don't know. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, and, the, and the, the baseball stuff was pretty good. I, you know, I don't know if you saw the Mets, what they did, and they walked off the field. Um, <laughs> I thought that was pretty impressive. That was kind of a crazy scene. I turned on the game, you know, and you have Gary Cohen up in the booth. Um, and he's like, I don't know if we're going to have a game tonight, you know. And then they took the yeah. field, and you're thinking, oh, I guess they are. And then, you know, next thing you know, they're not. Right. Um, you have Keith Hernandez awkwardly sitting there, not quite knowing what to say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a, that seems like a good transition to get into uh, into the Mets because uh, you know, yes, they did they did walk off and they did not walk back on the field at eight ten. That's true. Yeah, right. This whole goofy plan that was was uh, um, discussed where they were going to take an hour break and then come back and still play the game. Because um, yeah, I mean that you know it's just funny that is like you know. I mean, Adam Silver, I think in some ways, you know, is benefits from that the NBA media is is very loves the game and loves the league. And, and he kind of benefits from getting a lot of praise for not having to do that much. But then yeah. when you watch the other commissioners, you do kind of see why he rises so far above the other <laughs> ones, um, you know, I just don't think anyone expects Rob Manfred to handle this well. Um, and it seemingly he hasn't. Um, and then, yeah, you had Brody Van Wagen and the Mets GM on a hot mic getting caught criticizing this kind of buffoonish plan that, that they were trying to come up with. And then backtracking and saying, oh, actually, it was my boss's fault, uh, <laughs> which is just really strange. Also. Um, and, uh, you know, the Mets seemingly stepped in it. Um, but then, you know, hey, pulled it together and actually I thought pulled off sort of what was kind of a um, inspiring thing in its own right and sort of powerful and left with the Black Lives Matter on home plate um, and walking off the field. And, you know, you just I was watching the game. I happened to watch it live and, you you know, it was like, wow, look at that. Yeah. Um, let's sit with this for, for an evening. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Brody Van Wagen is, seems like a classic Mets doofus <laughs> <laughs> well you know there's some conspiracy theories too that he's actually angling to become the commissioner of baseball and that was part of what happened there oh interesting so that um, because the video was actually on mlb.com for a while of brody yeah video yeah him talking yeah which how does that happen yeah i don't know you know i i um as you know, used to work for Major League Baseball. 
Yeah. Um, and like once a year, Rob Manfred would show up and kind of try to rally the troops. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't, I didn't glean too much insight from any of those, um, speeches that he gave to our office, but, um, you know, I, I don't think he's, uh, beloved in, in the, in, in, on the MLB.com side. So it's, you know, that's sort of interesting in its own right that they would post that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but so I don't know. that's part of the conspiracy that it was it was up on MLB.com, and you know how could he not know that maybe he was the one who leaked that so that everybody would know how bad Man- Manfred was, and you know right. also that Brody thought it was stupid, and now it's up on MLB.com. So maybe this is the last straw for Manfred and Brody. You know, he sees the writing on the wall. Maybe A Rod doesn't want to retain him. Right. Yeah, well, actually, it looks like A-Rod dropped out, and now it's going to be this uh, Steve Cohen, who I think is a criminal of some kind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Aren't they all? Right, which will be nice to have. Uh, although he he will be the richest owner in Major League Baseball, so hopefully that um, redounds to the Mets' benefit and finally uh, start spreading that sweet, sweet cash around. Yeah. It's funny how it's ultimately him, because he was like, he he bought it, basically. and then Yeah, it was done. Yeah, and then it was opened, reopened up, and then he got it again. I don't, I don't, I don't know. It's just, I guess, like the Wilpons just being assholes to the very end. Yeah, I, you know, I don't get that whole process of how a baseball team is bought, how it's financed, um, how they put those deals together. Like the amount of money is just so staggering. I don't, I don't really get how it works. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know exactly right. How is anyone buying it? You know, Brian Erlacher was apparently part of A-Rod's uh, purchasing group um, or his ownership group or whatever, and he ran into that controversy over the weekend with his Instagram. Do you see that? No. So Brian Erlacher posted on Instagram in his Instagram story about how uh, Brett Favre's father died and he went out on Monday Night Football and threw for four touchdowns. So why are the NBA players not playing? Because someone they didn't know got shot, basically. Oh, God. And, then, right. and then he liked uh, a meme that was praising that 17-year-old kid from Illinois who went and shot a couple people at the protests. Right. So, I mean, you know, he just... He had a tough weekend. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Some regrettable uh, social media decisions. Yeah. God almighty. Were made. Um, but, you know, and then for all the, all the, all the foolishness surrounding the Mets, they swept the Yanks last night in a 14 inning doubleheader. Yeah, I guess, you know, to get into just some actual sports, um, you know, it's funny, the last time we talked about baseball, I was, you know, just like, well, the Yankees are in the playoffs and you just kind of, yeah. <laughs> and they went out and lost seven in a row, yep. including a sweep to the Mets in a doubleheader. Um, basically turned the Mets season around and now the Yankees are, you know, in real trouble, look terrible, just injuries piling up on injuries and the Mets all of a sudden, you know, there's a good team in there with the Mets. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they're going to ever put it together, but they they have a lot of, you know, that's always the frustration with the Mets. They have seemingly a lot of nice things and they don't, um, they just don't fill all their holes always because they're always so, you know, cash conscious. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, all of a sudden, the, the two teams are on completely different trajectories. I It's unbelievable. I mean, it's just like, 
I wish I had something specific about the Yankees to criticize or be like, we got to do this better. We got to do that, Pat, better. Like, we just have to put a major league team on the field. Because our major league team is one of the best, if not the best in baseball. They're just not out there. Right. I mean, and this week was brutal. Yeah. I know. I couldn't believe it. I mean, we're just looking at the team. The Yankees have lost seven in a row. Yeah. Um, You know, now they're in they're in a real fight right of course i mean they were already in trouble within the division but and and, you know we were talking about the expanded playoffs which again still should theoretically help them but i I just i can't i i don't know how much better you can expect it to get because it's not like with the mets like you know you could have pointed to a week or two ago like well pete alonzo will start hitting or you know what have you just guys got to get healthy yeah, they have to get their actual team back on the field. Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like that's going to happen. Like, these, most of the injuries aren't, like, season-ending. Is that – am I wrong about that? No, or? yeah, that's generally correct. But they're also, in their own ways, like, mysterious. Or, right. you know, like, what I really hate, it, and it's like nobody uh, is more emblematic of this than Stanton, but it, it's like, you know, he has, like, a grade whatever calf strain. And you're just like, well, what is that? Like, because to me, it seems like if, if like a player in the NFL had that, he would just miss no time at all. Right. So when he has that, what does that mean? And how long is he going to be out? Yeah. Yeah. And he, you know, he tends to have these kind of issues. Um, he's had injury problems throughout his career. Right. Um, but, you know, I don't know. I have a tough time believing the Yankees won't pull it together. Yeah. Um, just because they do have so much talent. But. Yeah, I mean, they're definitely at a, a, a real crisis point here. They could use a win. Yeah. I, I mean, just to, just to touch on that for a second, because I've always wondered this. Isn't it crazy how injuries affect different sports and the severity of it? Like, you know, uh, Ray Lewis tears his peck, and he's back in a few weeks with deer antler spray. John Carlos Stanton strains his, ca- strains his calf, and he misses all of August. Like, What? I don't get it. Yeah, yeah, I don't get it either. <clears throat> Baseball injuries in general are just kind of a mystery. Like, the, the game just doesn't seem that high impact, yet the injuries are just as severe as any other sport. Yeah, know? yeah. Um, if not more so. I mean, it's not, it's just guys, you know, careers get wrecked by them. When, and seemingly these, like, you know, I, I don't know. You know, I guess it's just the sheer volume of games they play. Right. Um, and the condensed time period they play it in. Yeah. Their bodies just don't ever get a rest. Um, yeah. And I, it's the only way to explain it. Yeah. That's true. Um, but, you know, things are looking up for the Mets. Who's on the hill? To, or, are they playing today? I Yeah, I think they're playing today. I think they, they have play, to. Yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. No, there's almost no off dates the rest of the year. Right. Um, but I could not tell you who's scheduled to pitch or um, <laughs> what. What? <laughs> I don't or who they're playing even actually, you know it's funny baseball is just like it's such a background sport. Like I've definitely been watching a lot of the Mets, um, but I haven't been following it with the intensity that I might normally do. Yeah, I know I totally agree, um, and it is it's sort of like you know kind of the way baseball has unfolded this year and and some of the things like I was really excited about the Yankees and all these injuries hit and it's like you know tomorrow like last night. Am I going to watch 14 full innings of the AAA team? 
Right. You know, no, and the season's been super weird. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm getting into it. As they play better, though, you know, I'm getting pretty excited about the Mets. They, they do have a lot of nice young players. Um, kind of a fun team if they could ever actually pull it together. Yeah. And I know last week you said you weren't a fan of it, but I, I am really excited about the expanded playoffs and the potential that that has. It's going to be like a really fun fall tournament. Yeah, that's true. Once it actually happens. You know, I mean, everything, though, is such a bummer without fans. Like, it's it's nice and it's better than nothing, but um, all these things where you're thinking, oh, that'll be so fun. It's like then when, like the bubble even is a perfect example where it's been fun. And I get where people who are, have fan, who have rooting interests are still into it. Um, but it is still, I find it a little bit of a drag every time I'm watching <laughs> Um especially in like critical moments or like big games, a like game five or where usually the intensity is just so off the charts. Yeah. Um, it's just not there. Um, yeah. Which isn't to say it's bad, but it's, you know, it's you're, you, you're miss, I'm missing what normally we get. No, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I guess I, I was actually thinking about this the other night, but I suppose the silver lining is, well, first of all, when do you think we're going to have packed stadiums for sports again, if ever? And when we do, that first season is going to be off the charts. Yeah, yeah. In terms I of mean, energy. You know, I have no idea, but I would, I don't know. What do I know? I'm not an epidemiologist. Is that the word? Um, yes, that we've but... All had to, we've all had to learn epidemiology. Um to be fair, neither are 90% of the people that we end up hearing from. Yeah, right, true, <laughs> right, who confidently speak about what's going to happen. Right. Um, as you know, of course, I am a vaccination expert, but um, <laughs> no, I'm not, I don't have that expertise either. I don't know. I do feel like I would be surprised if this time next year we're not gearing up for a totally normal um, fall sports season. Um Okay just that's just reading the tea leaves of where the testing advances and vaccine development is at um i feel like that you know maybe maybe stadiums won't be packed because people will be like you know people will still be this kind of like um trauma that we've all gone through and you'll only have some people who feel comfortable and some don't but but um you know if you can take like if we could get like home testing and you could take a test every morning before you left your house like you could start to be really confident that you don't have it and you could start doing that stuff again so you know that would be my guess well and you know i just want to reiterate that's based on no knowledge of anything (laughs) 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 that's just based on reading a couple of the atlantic articles and following a few people on twitter (laughs) okay well that's good because i think you're definitely more optimistic than i am okay Uh, you know, I think it could be a couple of years before we start to get packed stadiums all over again. I think, you know, as much as, as you have a lot of people that are just seem to be willing to die to get back out there and do anything, <laughs> you know, I think, look, I, I, I don't even know how true that is, right? Because I think based on what I had seen in the media or read on Twitter, like, I thought it was possible that Trump would have a packed rally in Tulsa when he did that back in whenever July or whenever he did that. Uh, and, and they didn't at all. Um, and I feel like if you're not, if you're not pulling Trump rally attendees out of their home, then it's going to be hard to get a mixed group of people out of their home and into a packed stadium. Yeah. Well, again, I'm assuming like major changes in 
the testing and right. that, you know, like, so a real breakthrough that we have a vaccine that is in use and that we have rapid, um, easily available testing that you could literally like you would, you wouldn't even need a vaccine if, I mean, again, I, I, I don't know what I'm talking about. So <laughs> everyone listening, take this with a grain of salt, but take Brian's if advice. You could, if you could take a test before you left your home every morning, you know yeah. what I mean? And you ha- then you have confidence. You do not have it. And you, even, you know, you're going out in the world like that, that would give everybody. And, and there, you know, um, there is reason to believe that that's possible by like the spring of next year. Um, so, you know, but I mean, I agree with you that if we're in the place, same place we are now, which, and who knows, you know, I mean, it, it's hard to ever have the optimistic, but, Right. Well, um, I guess I'm so, having a hard time believing that we'll be in that place a year from now. I don't want to out him. I don't know if I told you this. I don't want to also don't want to out him on our on our podcast. But uh, a very close friend of ours, both of ours, uh, was tested for coronavirus on Monday and still doesn't have his results. Yeah. Like, that's nuts. Yeah, yeah that is crazy. But again, you know, that's like. um, um there is there is reason to believe that there are going to be some some major breakthroughs on the testing front, but okay. they, you know they won't and and you know they can't change until they're available. But um, yeah, you're right. I mean, if we're in so if we're in that boat, then yeah, it can't. It'll be a long time. I mean, I do think people are gonna be wearing masks on the subway for a long while. You know, wouldn't be surprised. Like I might be wearing a mask in a grocery store for years. You know. Yeah, actually, it, it was funny. I I went out to dinner last night uh, in an outdoor seating kind of arrangement with my in-laws and uh, all my in-laws, my my mother and father-in-law, my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law. We all went out to dinner, and we went to this barbecue place in in Park Slope in Brooklyn, where I live. And I noticed looking around the restaurant. A lot of people had some really kind of cool, fancy masks on. And, <laughs> and I, I wondered two things. I wondered, like, one, is it just because I'm in Park Slope, so everyone's, like, a little bougier and more stylish, and it's just, like, better mask game here? Right. Or is it that, like, people are deciding, you know what? I'm probably going to be wearing a mask for, like, five more years, so I'm going to get some cool ones to go with my outfit. And, like, right, right. Like my dinner mask. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my my Friday night out on the town dinner yeah. mask. <laughs> and my office mask and my date mask. Yeah, Ooh, right. Look at her. This is the sexiest mask I've ever seen. <laughs> She's showing a little uh, dimple. <laughs> I see a little chin in this mask. Hello. <laughs> look at that long neck. Right. Uh. God, what oh, a world God. we live in now. What a world we live in. Yeah. So uh, let's jump into college football. Okay. Uh, which, uh, you know, it's 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 funny because uh, I went to, uh, as as you know, the, the Ohio State University. Uh, so college athletics is a huge part of my life. And it was a weird adjustment when I came back from Ohio to the tri-state area where, you know, pro sports reign supreme. We don't really have a college team that everybody identifies with in the region. If if we do, it's probably Notre Dame, which is in the Midwest. Uh, so not necessarily a big part of the New York landscape, but still a major part of the national landscape. And I think similar to what we're saying with the NBA is very emblematic of what's going on in the country generally. So uh, the Big Ten... And the Pac-12, or whatever, I don't know, the Pac and the Big, they 
the B, the B1G and the pack, whoever, however many teams they have, uh, decided to suspend their fall seasons and uh, at the beginning of August. And then uh, the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC. So the ACC has Clemson, Florida State, Miami. The SEC, we don't need to list the teams because they're all so proud of themselves for existing. Um, <laughs> you know, and and then the Big 12 highlighted by Oklahoma, Texas, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so there, there, there's very uh, uh, different plans, and the Big 10 and the Pac-12 have shut it down. They're not supposed to be playing this year, and Big 10 fans have not taken kindly to this. And now the Big Ten is kind of scrambling to potentially reverse course. Um, So the Big Ten commissioner is Kevin Warren, and he's new to the job, and he came from the NFL. And he's it's really funny that he comes from the NFL because he's really sort of taken on a Goodell-like role where it seems like he's the lightning rod for the university presidents and chancellors who really seem to be the ones who wanted to cancel sports. Um, And he's just kind of the the front man for them, sort of take the heat for the decision. Um, But, uh, you know, still made the bold choice to shut it down, and and fans didn't take kindly to it, and you've had various things. Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields started a petition, uh, which was similar to... Uh, what's his name? Trevor Lawrence's efforts at Clemson with his whole Twitter and 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 uh, campaign to get things started. And then, you know, last night Trump tweeted, "No, I want I want Big Ten and all other football back now. The Dems right. don't want oh, football God. back for political reasons, but are trying to blame me and Republicans." Right now, I'm sure when Trump tweeted this, millions of Midwesterners thought to themselves, "Why can't we just keep politics out of sports?" I'm sure that was their yeah, first right, reaction. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. In that case, it's totally fine. Yeah, but what I think what's really interesting about all this, because I'm kind of uh, rambling a little bit right now, is the role that parents have, are playing in all this. So the parents of Big Ten players are leading this protest at Big Ten headquarters. There's only 25 of them, but they're getting a big feature in ESPN and all that. And they're saying, you know, what's kind of interesting too is, so the Big Ten and, and Kevin Warren, the commissioner, are claiming they used a lot of scientific evidence to make their decision along with other types of anecdotal evidence to make their decision that it wasn't safe to play football in the fall. So parents from Nebraska are suing the Big Ten to get the emails, communications, documents, and medical data that they used in order to make that decision. And the Big Ten is very reluctant to hand that stuff over, which I'm sure for a lot of reasons. But then, of course, you have people saying, well, where's the transparency? What are you hiding? Um, Right. And it's a good question. What are you hiding? But it's just very funny to me that parents are leading this charge and they're doing so somewhat successfully because the Big Ten kind of is backpedaling and trying to figure out a different way. Maybe they'll start at Thanksgiving or whatever. But are we going to see a rise in parent involvement in big-time college sports? And is that going to lead to things being both hilarious but also just terrible? Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it does feel like this inflection point in college sports where the, this is forcing this issue of, like, um, the status quo can't exist anymore because, you know, it's just the whole lie of there's just students – is blowing up you know they're they want them to play football because it's a huge money maker and there's millions of people who want to watch it so they're not just students and you know if you're not going to have students on campus then you can't ask the athletes to come back to play football right Um, you know but then i get it the athletic players want to play they have like huge incentives to play 
um, draft st- status to worry about. Um, they put a ton of effort and time into this. They're, they want, you know, they don't want to skip a whole season. So I don't know. I mean, it's just everything. We're in just quagmire. Nobody quite knows what to do. I mean, I don't get college football because college football isn't it supposed to start like today. <laughs> <laughs> when is it? When are they going to? Don't they have to make a decision? Either way. Well, typically tomorrow. What, what? <laughs> September. This is isn't this usually when college football starts? I'm I don't even get how we're still at this point and nobody knows exactly what. And you know, you, if the Big Ten's not going to play, then what's the point? I mean, the SEC can't. What are they going to just be declare themselves a national champion? And you know, um, like they do every year. Right. I, I right. I know they. No, they don't. You know, they already discount. You know, your your favorite team and Michigan and all that as you know subpar football anyway but um i don't it seems like something has to happen here yeah well i think sort of what has happened the way that they all kind of bought themselves time is that they scheduled only conference games so right you know it it buys them some time to delay the season a little bit but they want to start playing because i think they're all thinking like well the virus is obviously going to come back with a vengeance we need to get in as many games as we can prior to well, that and that's the thing too they're all you know everybody we got we've gone through this now twice where we had this huge spike and it was terrible and then we reached this plateau and there was an assumption that the plateau might last for a while and eventually would go down and the plateau just plateaued right plateaus tend to do and then it started going up again and then we again started to plateau and now we're in another plateau and there's an <laughs> assumption that it's going to go down but the plat- this plateau is higher than the previous one, where the daily cases are, are higher than they were when we had plateaued previously. And there's no indication that in the fall, you might have another giant problem, a huge spike again. And, you know, you're being in the middle of college. You know, what most of these colleges, as they've opened up, have seen terrible results, immediate outbreaks. Um, so, you know, you can want to play all you want, but the reality is probably going to dictate. Um, so I get why they're just stalling, but I don't know. It just seems like a pipe dream to me. But, I mean, look, we all want college football. I'd love to watch college football. Um, but I don't know. Well, and I think what's interesting, too, and, and this is not this is separate from the parents because I do understand how some of them are worried and there's finances involved. You know, even Joe Burrow acknowledged if they didn't play the last college football season, there's no way he's the number one pick of the Bengals this year. Yeah, no, that was a great point, yeah. You know, but um, – I also think it's funny that like these SEC uh, teams and their decision to play, I'm sure, is driven by some local politics and things like that. And, and not saying it's political even, but just, you know, the way that college football is kind of woven into the culture down there. But so much of college sports and even more so than any professional sport are the tailgates and the parties and the way that these these t- college towns and cities just shut down on Saturdays to devote all their energy towards these games. And that's just not going to be recreated in this atmosphere. You just can't, right. you can't do it. And and it's different even than with football, because I know that your, your family put on the best tailgates I've ever been to at Giants games, <laughs> but those can only be really attended by people who have tickets to the game and who are paying to get into the lot. These colleges are so different because it's the whole town. If you just descend anywhere onto campus, you're in a tailgate. And I yeah, think yeah. that's so much of the driver for some of these games in terms from a cultural perspective. There's no way. I mean, if if these towns in the South are doing that, then this 
virus is going to explode in the next couple of months. Right. Yeah, I don't know. You know, it's just a terrible situation. I have no answers or solutions. Nobody seems to be doing anything. Um, and it's just going to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're on a long highway to hell. Um, <laughs> well, is that is that our transition into Daniel Jones or... Oh no! Wait, first, let's let's oh, right. let's roll it back before. Right. While we're on our highway down into hell, let's just right. let's just check the rearview mirror and let's take ourselves back to some simpler times. Right. Well, it, yeah. When college football was. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah, maybe we'll talk about you know corruption in college football, and uh, you know one of the things that's kind of being exposed now is. Maybe, maybe, you know, people want to pay the players, teams time, especially if you're going to be asking them to risk their lives, perhaps some financial compensation is warranted. But, you know, it also belies the fact that college athletes have long been paid, you know. Yeah, um, one way or another. It just occurs under the table. Um, And we've had many looks at this in in popular culture, you know, in film. Um, There was the movie The Program. That was a good movie. Yeah, um, that had a big impact on me. That film, yeah, the me steroid too. guy was a fun character. But yeah, so we were joking about. <laughs> I, I was watching the film Necessary Roughness the other day, which I hadn't seen in a long time, um, and was kind of a fun movie when we were kids. And it holds up surprisingly well. Robert Loggia steals the film as the gruff coach, um, the defensive <laughs> coordinator. But if people don't know the movie, the Texas State. Um, armadillos armadillos are stripped of their national championship for paying players and uh they are forced to field a team only from the student body so no recruits no uh yeah they can't have any recruiting they can't have any scholarship players it's just whoever's on campus can try out and they get to be a d1 player totally absurd premise um but we were joking my favorite part of the movie is that they recruit this 34 year old um quarterback who's played by who's played brilliantly by scott bacula brilliant fine actor a fine actor if there ever was one um he's actually pretty hilarious in that movie i'm trying to think who would be a better who would be better than him there's many people who would have been but he is good he's good he is good yeah yeah um but he's he's recruited off his farm he's 34 years old and and i just was laughing so hard at the scene where the coach comes and recruits him (laughs) because he just seems like he almost was expecting it. You know, <laughs> oh, well, I figured you were going to come out. You know, <laughs> 34 years old. He hasn't played since high school. He runs, you know, seemingly like a dairy farm or something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it would seem to me, you know, the list of guys that you would run through before you got to this guy <laughs> would be miles long. I know that, the, you know, he was like a legend in high school and he didn't. He didn't get to go pro or go to college because his old man died and he had to take over the family business. But just his lack of a surprise when the coach shows up and wants him to come play <laughs> is funny to me. I don't know. Well, so, all right. So, we, you know, we were talking about this the other night and I, you could, if you want to watch the movie, I highly recommend it. We haven't yeah. even we haven't even mentioned yet that Sinbad is in this movie. And is also who's great. I'm one of the, the big Sinbad fans. Yes. of all time. Yes, you are. <laughs> uh, Sinbad apologist. <laughs> but, um, you know, uh, 
it's a great movie. It's available on Amazon Prime. It's it's free. Uh, it's streaming. I checked it out. So you and I had this conversation. I went to go look for right. the scene, and I told we don't him, have a financial interest in this. I want to point out because very well probably wondering. <laughs> oh yeah, no, <laughs> we don't get any money if you watch this. I know this probably seems like the most random thing that has ever been discussed, but yeah, no, go but ahead. this this is our gift to you, the listener. Right. <laughs> but my counterpoint is. Scott Bakula playing quarterback Paul Blake should be expect he he should be expecting that guy to show up at, at his farm. How is it? This guy was so the backstory of it was the defensive coordinator played by Robert Loja had recruited Paul Blake when he was a high school senior in Texas through four touchdown passes in the Texas State Championship game. Right. <laughs> and he was all set to go to USC. And right. and Robert Loja talked him out of going to USC and recruited him to go to Penn State. Then Scott Bakula's father dies, and he decides he's just going to take over the family farm. How 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 did it take fifteen? Or I'm sorry, how long? So from this was in 1975. We're going by his age of 34 years old. Right. He was he was recruited to play football in 1975. How did no one just like the following year just follow up with him? Like no one, <laughs> no one in the college football landscape was like, give this kid a year to recover, and then let's check back right. see if he changes his mind a little bit. Right, right. It took sixteen years before someone was like, the kid who was like the greatest I've ever seen on yeah. a football field. I wonder if he might be persuaded. And then all it took was Robert Loggia saying like, well, maybe you can sit with your high school trophies. Yes. Yeah. Wonder what might have been. Like, all, it didn't take – it wasn't a lot of arm twisting right. to get him back out there. It was just that one line, like, well, oh, you can wonder what you could have been. He's like, what the hell with this farm? I'm going right. to go play on the worst team ever. Yeah. And not to mention, you got to figure when he's 18 years old and his father dies, like, what sort of business acumen does this kid have? Like, how does he know how to run a farm? But by the time you're 34 years old, he's probably running a thriving business down there. He just walks away from it to go play for right. the worst team in college football. Right, that's true. And also, like, right, there wasn't like an uncle or a cousin who could take over the business while he goes and plays like D1 football, where he then might go play in the NFL and right buy you all the farms in Texas. Like yeah. nobody was like, "Don't do this. Don't give that up." It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> And it's also, <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, you think about it today, too. Like, Dabo Sweeney would have been working on his farm the following January to try right, and get right. him to Clemson the following year. You know, Nick Saban would have just, like, hired a crew of workers to go there and be like, they'll run the farm. You come play here. Yeah, it's true. You know, how did right. Joe Paterno right. let that happen? Where was right. Daryl Royals coaching the University of Joe Texas? Bob? You know, how did he let that happen? Right. <laughs> Just like, oh, he doesn't want to play his dad died. Oh, that's too bad. I, you know, let's move on, right. I guess. What? He's the greatest we've ever seen, Joe. He's got an arm like nobody. <laughs> right. Can we get a booster to just buy the farm from this kid? Right. Something. I get that he's upset. You know, get him enrolled in some sort of psychological counseling on campus. Like, what's going on here? Yeah. That's true. I mean, it's, it's, it's maybe no more preposterous than Sinbad's character, who's a chemistry professor. <laughs> at Texas State, who was on the team, but the coach did not like him studying chemistry. Right. Forced him to choose. <laughs> and he, cho he chose chemistry. Right. And then, you know, Paul Blake 
is able to convince him to come out for the team. Yeah. Yeah. To also, relive those glory days. Also, how good was the score to this movie? Not, it was. Not to be so Phil nerdy, but the song is awesome. Right. It's true. It is great. Yeah. You know, I guess I maybe, I, you know, it's not so preposterous. I, I find the allure, you know, as we know, I'm a person who quit playing football when I was a freshman in high school. And I still have dreams about where I am going back to play football. I'm either trying out for I'm, I'm a senior in high school and I'm trying to get back on the football team or I'm in college. Yeah. And I'm convincing myself to go out for the football team. So when you give up on the gridiron, especially as a quarterback, I think yeah, um, yeah. that allure stays with you. You know, all you all you think about are those golden spirals that you never threw. Right. <laughs> all the glories you gave up. So I guess yeah, he was yeah. able to get him out, you know, I, and he led the armadillos to an inspiring one victory. I think Paul Blake was thinking to himself, why didn't you just give me two months and call me back? Right. Why didn't you just <laughs> give up? Me. Like, of course yeah. you're here. Right. Maybe he was. Like, where have you been? Yeah. I've been waiting for this visit <laughs> for 16 years. All I wanted was somebody to just say, hey, you know, what about the, maybe you should come back. Right. I was 18 and my dad died. I made some emotional right. decisions. Just... <laughs> like, give me a couple months, call me back. Yeah, that's true. You know, he went nowhere. I don't know. Yeah. I think it was perfectly, I think, you know, he should have been expecting Robert Loja. Good for him. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so from an aging quarterback to a young quarterback, Daniel Jones. Uh, back yes. in the last time, the last time we really ran this podcast on anything that resembled a regular basis, we used to have a weekly segment, Are the Giants Good? I think this year we kind of know the answer to that. No. but Probably not. Yeah. yeah. But we could still have our weekly segment of, is Daniel Jones good? So, welcome to our first installment. Brian, Yeah, is Daniel I Jones think this good? Is, I do think this to be regular, where we gut check Daniel Jones. Yeah, yeah. And is Daniel Jones going to be good? I would say right now that I, I think, yes, I'm optimistic about Daniel Jones. And um, I was telling, I think I told you earlier, I was listening to the Ringer NFL show podcast I enjoy about, and Kevin Clark, who's the host of it, had Mike Ciano on, who's a writer for the Athletic, who does a thing every year where he he uh, surveys the whole league and executives and GMs and scouts and stuff, and gets he asks everybody to rank the quarterbacks into tiers, and then he puts them in uh, by the votes into the tiers, and Daniel Jones was in like the fourth tier or something, you know, he's kind of down in the pack. But when Kevin Clark asked this guy, you know, sort of who's the quarterback you're hearing from a lot of people that people expect could possibly take a big leap this year. He said the guy that he would say is Daniel Jones. And it was funny. Kevin Clark's immediate response was to sort of laugh at that. And I get it. Daniel Jones has been more of a punchline in his brief NFL career than, you know, a promising player. I think no one expected him to be good last year. But then, you know, and I certainly didn't. I hated the pick. Thought it was going to be a disaster. And I turned my tune probably like seconds into his NFL career. I just felt the first preseason game he played, he looked so much better than I was expecting him to look physically. And just from a, you know, pure decision-making standpoint, he looked so good. Played awesome throughout the whole preseason game. Gets his first start against the Buccaneers. Has 
the best debut of any quarterback I've ever watched, certainly of the Giants. Um, and then, you know, had his struggles, but showed a lot of talent. Um, has come back this year. Everybody's talking about how great shape he's in. He's chiseled. He's <laughs> chiseled Daniel Jones. Um, which And it seems to be the case. Doesn't seem like BS, you know. So yeah. I'm super optimistic. Um, I think he's good. Have you seen those reports that hit that they the coaches feel like he's increased his arm strength too? I haven't, but you know what? I, what I say? What I was most shocked by Daniel Jones was his physical talent because mm-hmm. most of the stuff that you heard was like he's got a mediocre arm and he is fast, but he's not super athletic, and you know that this was kind of like. The, the, he had the makeup of a quarterback. You know, there was sort of the intangibles were sort of the selling point for Daniel Jones, I think, fr- from the Giants, you know, um, yeah. seemingly. And that he came, you know, he came, his coach was the same one as the Manning brothers, and he's going to sort of be like a Peyton, you know, a Manning with his cerebral play. Um, but what I was most impressed with was just his physical abilities. Like, he's fast as hell. He throws a beautiful ball. You know, he doesn't have the elite elite arm strength but he has a big time arm he makes some a lot of you know he's made more wow throws last year than i ever expected so his physical talent is what has shocked me the most yeah yeah i i i agree with you uh i think i would land on is daniel jones good yes i reserve the right to change that at six o'clock tonight when i see why the offense only put up three points um but I also think, yes, he is good. I think he's a rookie quarterback last year playing behind, the I mean, a horrendous offensive line. And what also appeared to be just like a really poorly coached team. Yeah, that's true. Um, I was reading, uh, like, so Warren Sharp did this breakdown uh, with these, like, hyper-analytics of the Giants. And, uh, you know, he has this feature on, on Daniel Jones. And what he was basically saying was, uh, you know, kind of a summary of some of the advanced stats he looked at for Daniel Jones. And some of it surprised me, to be honest with you, but that he uh, he was near the bottom of the league in terms of deep throws. Most of his throws were very shallow. Um, and most of those shallow throws uh, were into very tight coverage windows. So he's being very aggressive with his passes and they're all on short throws. Or not all, but majority of them are short throws. And to me, that just sounds like a real, like a coaching problem more than it is a Daniel Jones problem. Right. You know, like, first of all, if he's, if he's throwing the ball short, it's probably because he's getting pressured like crazy. Yeah. And he has to get rid of it. And, you know, if he's throwing it into tight coverage windows, it's like, well, why, why aren't guys more open? And that's partly on the coach to, to put together a good play so that he's able to throw to open guys if he has to. So, you know, I think a lot of it, too, Shermer, you know, I, th- I think it was easy to say, like, well, he must know what he's doing offensively. He had that great season in Minnesota with Case Keenum as the offensive coordinator. and But I don't know, him and, and Shula together just... Yeah, I, it's true. You know. I mean, I think that's been a problem for the Giants for years. And I think that's some part of the reason Eli's career ended so poorly. Just not getting guys open and not getting easy throws. We just never seem to get those easy chunk plays. It's been a problem for years. Yeah, well, uh, even in that in that year that we won 11 games, it felt like the only successful offensive play we possibly could run was a very short slant to Odell that we hoped he could turn into a 90-yard touchdown. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, we have not had a lot of creativity on offense um, the last few years. I mean, I agree with you on <laughs> – I am – I think I'm very excited to see him play this year. I'm optimistic, but I mean, I am very willing to believe I am totally wrong <laughs> and that he, in fact, stinks. Um, <laughs> and I, I it very well could flip flop um, as the season goes. I mean, you know, I know a lot of the advanced stats did not like him. Um, you know, whether it was QBR or EPA, like I think. Um, you know, the football outsiders rankings had him pretty low. I don't know about pro football focus. I haven't seen what, what, what they, where they put him. Um, but you know, like from more traditional stat, his more traditional stats were pretty good. Yeah. Um, his counting stats were good. And the biggest issue was sort of the fumbling, which is definitely a problem, but I, you know, it's feels fixable. Um, it also was like one of those things though, where, as that season went on, you were like, no, I'm not worried about the fumbling. And then six games into his sort of tenure, you were like, if this guy fumbles, <laughs> yeah, I am going to lose it. Like it doesn't fumbling usually doesn't seem um, like it's one person's fault or, you know, it's usually the offensive line or, you know, it can be kind of fluky, but, but it got to a place where you, you couldn't um, not find yourself thinking, Hey, <laughs> hold on to that ball uh, danny boy come on pal yeah you drop that ball one more time <laughs> i'm gonna lose my mind um but you know i'm 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 ready my heart is open to daniel jones i want to fall in love with daniel jones he seems goofy he has a really silly lame personality <laughs> that seems you know like um destined to annoy everybody else and he could become our our new um, lovable goof. Yeah. So I want to fall in love with this guy. And I'm, so I'm, I'm open to that idea. I think we can honestly. And, and again, I share your deep skepticism of Jason Garrett. In fact, I just don't like Jason Garrett. I don't. Yeah. I don't like anytime I see a picture or a video of him in head to toe giants gear. I want to throw up, not in right. my mouth, yeah. just projectile vomit <laughs> oh, all over. It's horrible. Yeah. Right. However, I do feel optimistic that the offense is just going to be better. It's going to be more creative. I mean, I think, too, some of the advanced stats, because, you know, again, in reading that sort of Warren, Warren Sharp profile on the Giants, and he uses a lot of these advanced stats, too, like the stuff that he was pointing out to that didn't make Jones look very good, I thought was more directed just at the, at the offense and not really Jones. Like, why is he throwing short passes into tight coverage? That's not all his fault. And, right. and then also part of it, it wasn't about Jones, but his write-up of Evan Ingram. And it really stood out to me because I do feel like I noticed this. So many of his routes were these short out routes, these like five-yard outs, which is like, why a five-yard out for the best offensive player on your team last year? Or maybe not but the best receiver on your team last year. Why is that his most run route? I don't understand. Right. That's a long throw to get very few yards. So why are we using him that way? And I just think it'll be better. I wonder too, you know, you said this before that, that Jones is fast, but not super athletic. I'm really hoping that we see some of the zone read stuff that we got with Dak and Zeke. And not even to say that Daniel Jones is as athletic as Dak, but you don't really have to be that athletic to run a zone read. You just have to be fast. Like, I I think he is pretty damn athletic and he's big. And, you know, I actually do think 
you know, everyone's, you know, people, media love to make a big deal about a guy showing up in better shape and it's always yeah. put on 20 pounds of muscle, but he does look significantly stronger. And I do think that's going to make a big difference. Like if there was a thing you, you know, for him, especially the fumbling, you know, just being stronger, right. right. Being able to run through people, take advantage of his speed. Um, you know, he's, he's very fast, you know, I mean, yeah. he really can move. Yeah. Um, they, they, ha- I mean, that has to be part of their offense this year. Yeah, has to. And they did, look, they did it well. Uh, the Cowboys have loved this split zone play for a long time that, you know, used to be able to set up Jason Witten because it's the, the running back goes one way, the tight end is pulling the other way. He, maybe he's there to block. Maybe he's there to go out on a play action pass. And, and I just think that that's, that's kind of been a staple of the Cowboy offense for years. And they've had a lot of success with it, even though you know it's coming. And I think that would work really well for what we have on offense this year. So I, you know, I don't know. But then again, we scored three points last night on our own defense, which sucks. So why? Yeah. Well, who knows how many series did they play? Like I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to, we'll have to watch. Yeah, we'll we'll find what out. What did what was Warren Sharp's take? I mean, what was was he negative? Daniel Jones was he optimistic? What was his? It was it was fairly neutral. He was just basically saying like, uh, you know, here here is advanced stats. They're not very good, but they're also not totally his fault. Um, he also was the second most uh, pressured quarterback in the league last year. Uh, so it, it, it was more just like pretty basically ultimately neutral. Like there's some good here. There's some bad here. We'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, you know, also I know that statistically quarterbacks like year one to year two is when they make a big leap. Yeah. And then after that, that's actually kind of rare. Yeah. Um, if it doesn't happen in year two. So it's a big year, you know. We're gonna we're gonna learn a lot about Daniel Jones this year. Yeah, I mean, um, I hope so because I think actually, best case scenario, obviously, is that he's awesome, and then I don't think him being terrible is the worst case scenario. I think worst case scenario is like, ah, he's gonna, yeah, yeah, you know, that's the worst. Right. We got to know worst who he case is. Would be to be back in the same boat and be having the same conversation next year. Like, well, yeah, there was some stuff, and then, right. Yeah, but, oh yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We get into like a Ryan Tannehill situation. That yeah. Would be no good. Exactly. Exactly. So I don't know. We'll know more. We'll know more tonight, I guess. We'll know more soon enough. Yeah. This yeah. is happening. Seems yeah. like it's going to happen. Yeah. I, it's, I gotta say too, it really is a testament to the NFL. And again, you look at, we've kind of extolled the virtues of the NBA. And while the NFL is not nearly as progressive in terms of their mindset and so forth, what I think the NFL brings to the table is just like, this culture of incredible and intense discipline. And the fact that they've had so few positive coronavirus tests while not in the bubble, I feel like is so football specific. It's like only those disciplined lunatics could pull that off. Right, right. Just get everybody on board. Like, this is how we're going to live our lives. Yeah. (laughs) It's, yeah, I can't, like, baseball... Baseball didn't do it, and I do think basketball needs to be in that bubble. But football is handling it because they're lunatics. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It is impressive. It's amazing. Yeah. Um, if they pull it off all year, it'll be like a miracle. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Brian. I think uh, I think that's it for this week. All right, yeah. I think that's a good place to end. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, we'll be back next week. And... Uh, and giving the fans what they come here to us for just the best <laughs> the best new york sports that there is right <laughs> all right scott all right till next week yes bye